Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. We're glad you can join us as Pastor Dane Skelton shares a weekly message to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Here's Pastor Dane. Let me just read today's passage to start us off because we've had a couple of weeks where um, we fell out of this. We had to push pause on this series. So let me just read the passage. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4 and going through verse 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. We can choose thoughts that generate peace or thoughts that generate anxiety and worry. Let me give you an illustration. Despite what you might think of Twitter, and I'm not a fan and I'm not on it. Nobody needs to know what I think immediately when I think it. But despite of what you might think of Twitter, it can offer a glimpse into the American psyche. So, and here's a newsflash, it isn't pretty. For example, this is what a huge swath of America looked like three years ago in 2017. Alex Williams, in an article titled Prozac Nation is now the United States of Xanax in the New York Times, wrote this. In the winter of 2017, Sarah Fader, a 37-year-old social media consultant in Brooklyn who has generalized anxiety disorder, texted a friend in Oregon about an impending visit. And when a quick response failed to materialize, she posted on her Twitter feed to 16,000 plus followers, I don't hear from my friend for a day, and my thought, they don't want to be my friend anymore, she wrote. And then she did this hashtag, this is what anxiety feels like. Now you might think, that's just one overwrought young woman in New York City. But then thousands of people were soon offering up their own examples under the same hashtag. This is what anxiety feels like. Some of these were retweeted more than a thousand times. So you might say Ms. Fader struck a nerve. If you're not a human being, if you're a human being living in 2017, she said, and you are not anxious, there's something wrong with you. Now that was before coronavirus became the world's chief source of anxiety. But believers, followers of Christ, were never meant to live in anxiety. Believers in Jesus were never meant to live in anxiety. We are meant to live in peace. And tucked away in the pages of one brief letter in the New Testament are the keys to finding this peace. 
in a constantly troubled world because this is only the latest iteration of trouble in the world. This is not new to the, to the world. So the passage that we just read is in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. So I want to recap where we have been in this series. Number one, the greatest anxiety of all is facing God and paying for your own sins. So make sure that you have put your trust in Christ as the atoning sacrifice for your sin, because that's the greatest anxiety of all. As John wrote in his first letter in 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So that's the first thing, uh, uh, the first way, the first key to being free from anxiety is know who's paying for your sins. Make sure that it's Christ and not you. Number two, as Paul says here in verse four, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoicing massages the heart. It puts us in a different frame of mind. Most importantly, it puts us in an attitude of worship whereby we connect with God. Worship is key, and if you'll remember, it must be done out loud. Number three, in verse five, focus on the Lord. He is right at the door, said Paul. He may return at any moment. And that means that we can rest in his power. When the whole world looks like it's going crazy, when we have no power at all, Christ has all power, and he's right at the door. And we can anchor ourselves in that. Number four, Verses 6 and 7, stop agonizing and start praying. Grab hold of the reins of your mind, woe it back to a halt, and say, and say, hey, listen, I don't have to listen to these thoughts. I'm going to start praying. And don't leave anything out. Paul says pray about every little thing. Number 5, he says pray with thanksgiving. Worry about nothing, pray about everything, and be thankful for anything. Practicing gratitude boosts the immune system, bolsters resilience to stress, lowers depression, increases feelings of energy, determination, and strength, and even helps you sleep better at night. So there's always great power in thanksgiving. And so finally, we come today to number six. And number six is this. Train your brain for peace. Train your brain for peace. Let me go back and reread verse eight. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I want to just touch on that ninth verse there just briefly. I've been reading an excellent new book. I'm not all the way through it yet. When I am, I'll do a book review for it. It's called Finding Quiet by J.P. Moreland. J.P. Moreland is a, a philosophy and theology professor out in California. He lived a life of a major anxiety disorder. He would have anxiety and panic disorders that would put him out of commission for weeks and months at a time. Finally, in his 70s, 
in his late 60s and 70s, he learned how to be free from anxiety. And this is what he said. Once you learn these things, you must put them into practice. And he said it took about two to six months of practicing these habits of mind. And I developed a peace that I had never known in my whole life. And since then, I've been diagnosed with cancer three times. And I've had peace all the way through it, all the way through the therapies and all of that stuff. So this is powerful, but you must practice it. It's not magic. You don't just say this verse out loud enough times and you get peace. This is something we have to put into practice. So here's the key thought for today. My peace depends on what I tell myself about my God, myself, and my world. My peace depends on what I tell myself about my God and myself and my world. Peace is not usually something God just rains down on us out of a clear blue sky. Sometimes He does that, but it's not the norm. Never forget, God is in the business of making us better people, whole people, mature people. And part of maturity is learning that we decide, we choose what to do with our minds, and those choices have consequences. Let me just share some texts with you that speak to the power of our minds. David was speaking to his son Solomon in 1 Chronicles 22, verse 19, and he's, he's giving him his charge as Solomon is going to become his, his heir to the throne. He says, Now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. He does it again in chapter 28, verse 9. He says, You, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. So what he's saying is we choose the way we use our minds. We have a choice about the way that we use our minds. Nehemiah, trying to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, said in Nehemiah verse, chapter 4, verse 6, So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height. They really made a lot of progress in a rapid uh, space of time. And then he says, why? For the people had a mind to work. They set their minds to this project. They were going to accomplish it, and so they did. We can accomplish amazing things once we set our minds to it. Uh, Psalm 26, verse 2, Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. We can ask God to test our thinking. Test me, Lord. See if my thinking is sound and if it's grounded in righteousness. Proverbs verse 12, chapter 12, verse 8. A man is commended according to his good sense, but one of twisted mind is despised. So our minds, if we are not attentive to them, can become twisted and our thoughts can run awry. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 14. The discerning heart seeks knowledge, but the mouth of a fool feeds on folly. We can choose to seek true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable things, but it takes effort and it takes discernment. Being a fool is easy. All you have to do is turn on the television at about 6.30 at night and watch and take it without a grain of salt. Take it without thinking through it and you can be a fool. 
And finally, we see that Paul did not originate this idea of a disciplined mind leading to a peaceful heart. He's really reflecting things that come out of the Old Testament anyway. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 17. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge for... What will be the result of that? For it will be pleasant if you keep them within you. What's he saying? Life will be pleasant if you apply your mind to these teachings. And finally, Isaiah 26, verse 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. So, just like a father wanting his children to learn English or math in order to be better people, God wants us to learn to choose our thought life, to direct it, to control it in a positive way so that it cannot control us in a negative way. He loves us that much, and he wants us to be able to do this. So, And he hasn't left us wondering how to do it. He's left us very practical, specific instructions on the kind of thought life that generates that kind of peace. And we're talking about them here in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. William Backus was a Christian psychologist. He was ordained a Lutheran clergyman. He was the founder and director of Christian Psychological Services in St. Paul, Minnesota. This is what he said. Our culture is heavily influenced by Freudian philosophy, leading us to believe that psychological healing can only come by exploring the past in depth and that feelings are primary. Feelings are the real problem or the main thing to be concerned about. However, current research clearly refutes that orientation. Your feelings are no more the cause of your problems than red spots on the face of a child who has measles are the cause of the measles. Your feelings are no more the cause of your problems than red spots on the face of a child are the cause of measles. Feelings are not the cause of your emotional difficulties. They are the results. And he says the fact is you feel the way you think, whether you are aware of it or not. The solution to the frustration of gray moods, negative self-concepts, and dismaying habits is to be found in recognizing this simple truth. You feel the way you think, and you think the way you believe. Learning to control your emotions begins when you learn to listen to your self-talk. In other words, identifying your self-talk is the first step in determining what, are, what your basic beliefs are Beliefs that are the primary source of your attitudes, reactions, feelings, and behavior. He's echoing what Paul said here. You know, recent research, I love it when recent research turns out to be ancient truth. He might as well be quoting Paul. Let your mind dwell here. Think on these things and the God of peace will be with you. God is to the mind what Michael Dell is to the computer hardware and Bill Gates is to software. He built the hardware, he wrote the software that runs on it, he knows what makes it run smoothly and what causes it to lock up. And he's telling us right here in the text, 
how to do this. My peace depends on what I tell myself about my God and myself and my world. I can control my thoughts. But we have to think. We have to learn to think. So let's talk about what it means to think. Thinking is hard work. I don't know who said this, but most people think they are thinking when they're really just rearranging their prejudices. So this is what the word means in the text. The Greek word is from logizomai. It's, it's a translation of the word logizomai. And it means reckon, take careful account of. It's an accounting word. It comes from bookkeeping. It signifies make those things the subjects of your thoughtful consideration or carefully reflect on them. How many of you do bookkeeping? You actually do bookkeeping at home. Use some sort of system. Yeah, okay. I do it twice a month. I hate it, but I do it twice a month because it's got to be done. And it's a really good thing because if I didn't do it twice a month, I would be being robbed or I would be making all kinds of financial and math mistakes and not know where I was financially. And every now and then, I'll pull up this thing and I'll say, wait a minute. I'll pull up this charge and I'll think, now wait a minute. I, th I, think, I think I've already done that. So I push a button in my accounting program and I, I look up all my expenses in that category. And then I find out, oh yeah, I've entered this one twice. Or oh no, I haven't paid that bill yet. I, I am thinking about it carefully in order to understand what's happening so that I can bring the right kind of action to the situation. That's what he's saying. Think about these things like this. Concentrate on these things. Thinking, said Henry Ford, is the hardest work there is, which is the probable reason why so few engage in it. John Drummond said, he who will not reason is a bigot. He who cannot is a fool, and he who dares not is a slave. When I refuse to train my mind to discipline it to think like an athlete disciplines her body to run, I become a slave to the thoughts and ideas and the fears of others. One of the most difficult things to admit to ourselves is that we are choosing the thoughts that make us who we are. Romans 8, verses 5 and 6. Let's just turn back there just briefly. Romans 8, verses 5 and 6. Just a few pages back in your Bibles. Romans 8, verse 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set what the Spirit desires. I choose where I'm going to put my mind. Romans 12, verse 2. You probably know this by heart. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have a choice with what you're going to do with your mind. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, who or does not stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and he meditates on that law both day and night. And he shall be like a tree 
planted by the rivers of water, who brings forth his fruit in its season. Its leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. He says, what you do with your mind is really important and makes a difference between prosperity or poverty, peace and tranquility or anxiety. It really matters what you do with your mind. And my peace depends on what I tell myself about my God and myself and my world. The problem is, is that we are usually unaware of these thoughts and beliefs that are driving our feelings. We feel something and we think we are thinking, but we aren't. We're just feeling, like Bacchus said. So we have to go deeper. So I want to give you an exercise to do right now. Let me ask you to do this. I'm going to help you monitor your inner commentary. So ask yourself, what have I been thinking while Dane talks? I'll give you a few options. Maybe raise your hand if I, if I hit the right one, okay? This is interesting. Tell me more. I don't believe this. I can be more peaceful just by changing my mind. Oh, Dane's been reading way too much psychology again. He better get back into the word. <laughs> or what about, I wonder what we're having for lunch. What was the question? Now here's what Bacchus says. We all have a running commentary going on in our head all the time. We just don't always notice it. And sometimes it occurs as images instead of words. But research is proving that it is always running, even in our deepest sleep. My wife told me about some dreams that she had this morning. And that's all I'm going to say about that. It, was not, it had nothing to do with anything real. <laughs> She's going to kill me. That's my inner commentary. She's going to kill me. Let me do this. Concentrate on your feet for a minute. Concentrate on your feet. Think real hard about your feet. How do they feel? Can you tell how your feet feel right now? Okay. Sometimes, like, if I'm wearing the wrong socks, my feet are hot. My feet are sweating. I just had my toenails taken off. My feet hurt. Depends on what shoes I'm wearing. Okay. Did those sensations just begin or have they been going on all morning? Been going on all morning. You just weren't aware of them because you weren't concentrating on them. Your mind was someplace else, but the sensations were there. We never think about our feet until they hurt us. In the same way, most of us never think about this inner dialogue that we have going on inside of ourselves, in our minds, or where it's coming from, until it gets so painful that we have to do something about it. But then it's usually too late for simple solutions. My peace depends on what I tell myself about my God, myself, and my world, and whether I'm paying attention to those things. So let me just get you to do this with me. Say this together. 
I can choose to think on truth. I can choose to think on truth. I can choose to tell myself truth. I can choose to tell myself truth. So Paul says, he says, I'm going to give you these things to do. I want you to think about these things. Concentrate on these things. Think about whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. So let's talk about truth. Truth is that which is unconcealed, manifest, open, or known. When we worry, we are doing three unproductive things with our minds. We are living in the unknown and unknowable future. Or we are living in the past, remembering failures and constantly playing the what-if game and trying to get some control over something over which we have no control. Or we are fretting over things in the present which we have no, over which we have no control. So we're living in the unknown or unknowable future. We're living in the past and constantly praying the what-if, playing the what-if game. Or we are fretting over things over which we have no control. And all this prevents us from living in the present and doing something constructive about the things that we can control. Faith, in contrast to worry, is living in the now and leaving the mistakes of the past under the cross and the concerns of the, of the future to him who even now is in charge of it. That's what Bacchus said. So I can choose to think about truth. I can choose to think about honorable, reputable things, and they will contribute to my peace. I can choose to think about honorable and reputable things. Let me ask how you go up. We have movie night pretty much every Friday night uh, in our house when we're just totally toast from the week, and um, we have some, some version of fish, even though we're not Catholic, and, and we watch a movie. And quite often I find that I, I don't watch as many action and adventure movies as I used to. I just want to watch something that's peaceful, that tells a nice story, where people do good things to each other. <laughs> you know? I just don't need the garbage. I don't want it. We can choose what to set our minds on. 2 Timothy 2.16 Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it become more and more ungodly. 2 Timothy 2.23, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Boy, do we have a lot of those going on right now. Because you know they produce quarrels. Instead, show yourself a workman who knows how to handle the word of God. Look, this is what he says. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. How many foolish and stupid arguments are going on in the world right now? And we get all caught up in it. And it makes us anxious. Stop watching. You can't do anything about it anyway. Let me give you an illustration. They don't publish this tabloid anymore. And it, I'm really disappointed because it was some of my best entertainment of the week going through the grocery store line and looking at the weekly world news. Did you ever see that black and white? Here are some of the, my favorite headlines from the past. Skeletons of Adam and Eve discovered. 
Man dives in Miami hotel pool, surfaces in backyard, hot tub, eight miles away. And my all-time favorite. Angry cow knocks helicopter from sky. Utter destruction. I love that stuff. It's hilarious. And a whole lot of the stuff you're seeing on the television right now is just about as accurate. It's just not as funny. Some sources of information are reputable. Some are not. Be very careful about the sources of information that you pick and choose. Our brains... This is kind of how this works to either create anxiety or peace. Our brains are like a mushy computer. We only have so much RAM, so much random access memory that we can use at any given time. Yet we are bombarded with information. And if I don't set up some kind of filtering system my mind can be filled with useless things that overload it with worry. So I have to bring it under control and decide what I'm going to allow in and what's going to stay out. It's like the way that COVID-19 has been hyped. I remember right when this thing first started, very early in, like late in February or early in March, I forget this doctor's name, but he's a guy who regularly consults uh, on, on one of the news programs on television. They interviewed him, and he said, the press needs to shut up right now. Just stop. You're making it worse. And I wish everybody had listened. How do you know when something is reputable? How do you know when it's reputable? When, let me give you some keys to this. Number one, when sources are named and quoted, quoted accurately, and you can look it up in the footnotes. James Dobson, the founder of Focus on the Family, um, sends out and used to send out a monthly newsletter. And I always appreciated his newsletter because it would have a whole extra page on the back that was nothing but footnotes that gave the sources for the things that he said in his newsletter. You don't find that much. When sources are named and quoted accurately. Number two, when facts are emphasized over opinion. When facts are emphasized over opinion. You can find those facts for yourself. I'm going to add one that I don't have in here that I learned from Marvin Olasky, who's the editor-in-chief of World Magazine. Marvin teaches his journalists... We want sensational facts and understated prose. Watch for that. Sensational facts, understated prose. When you've got language that is inflammatory and is uh, creating a lot of suspense and excitement and, or trying to rile you up, and you're, you're drawn to it, immediately try to find the facts that are, that's underneath that headline. You won't find many angry cows knocking helicopters from sky, out of the sky. You just won't. When both, note, when, note when money is changing hands or not. 
Another thing Marvin Olasky taught us in his journalism class was we don't pay for interviews. Never do we pay for interviews for World Magazine or World News Group. My youngest, my middle daughter won an award, a, a contest, when she was six years old from Heinz Ketchup Company. She's 30 this year. And she, she designed a label for Heinz Ketchup bottle. One, uh, it was a competition one summer. She won for her age bracket. So she won a cash prize, and w they told us, hey, we may get you guys on Good Morning America. You know, take her and, you, and her dad or her mom, and go to Good Morning America. And that was when I learned that all these wonderful st stories that you see on the morning television shows, these wonderful human interest stories and things like this little kid won this contest. They did, Good, Amer Good Morning America didn't come and pick us out of the blue. Heinz Ketchup Company paid Good Morning America a fee to go so that their story would get on GMA to make them look good. Money was changing hands, except it didn't because we didn't get to go because there was some major flooding in the Midwest and it trumped us that week. I was so disappointed. But I learned a great lesson. A lot of the stuff that we are seeing on what we call news shows is just paid for in advertising. That's all it is for either a product or a position. And we've got to be discerning enough to go below the surface and find out what's going on here. When you're following a news source, make sure you know what their philosophy is and how it's guiding everything that they publish. Finally, just pay attention. How do you know it's reputable when fear is not being played up? It's just they're reporting the facts, all of the facts, but they're not saying, like the headline that I saw this morning, and I won't tell you what site it was on. People meeting in large groups and causing more coronavirus transmission with grim results. So that sounds pretty bad, right? So then I read deeper into the article, and I found out that there were groups of 23 or groups of 100 or groups of maybe 1,000, and yes, there was some transmission, and in that whole long article, they reported one death. I'm really sorry that whoever it was died because somebody went to a wedding and they contracted coronavirus. It said nothing about comorbid conditions. It said nothing about how old the person was. It said nothing about any of that. It was just a sensational, frightful, fearful headline. But when you got down to the facts, you said, well, you know, that person could have died of the flu. They could have died of cancer. They could have died of a hundred different other things. But you know that pretty much everybody who dies right now, it gets reported as a coronavirus death. So watch for reputable sources. He says, number three, concentrate on what is right, on what is just thinking what is right and what is just thinking. I built a room, a bedroom in, the, in my attic for my oldest daughter when all my girls were still at home. And the floor in that attic is not exactly square, it bows. 
And so I had to use a plumb bob and a level and a tape measure to get the walls right or square. And if I hadn't used those tools, I would not know that something, I would not have known if something was wrong. But I, I was able to use those tools and get it, if you know my construction skills, mostly square. One of the causes, the deepest causes of anxiety is when we do not know what is just and right in a situation. We know something's out of kilter. We can't tell exactly how or why. That's when we need a plumb line, and God's word is the plumb line. And if you can't sort it out yourself, find someone who can help you work through it. I have a number of theologians and pastors and professors that I go back and I refer to, you know two of them, Don Fowler and Stephen, uh, Stephen Kratz, when I can't sort something out on my own, I refer to those guys. Douglas Gruthius is another one who I would really encourage you to look up. Douglas Gruthius, who is a um, professor of philosophy at Denver Seminary and a really, really wise man. God's word is like a plumb bob or a level, and the more we use it, the more we let it shape our thoughts about what is right and just and what is square, the less anxiety we will have in the world, the less uncertainty we will have in the world. And when we do that, we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds from anxious people distracted by all kinds of foolish thinking into peaceful, godly people for whom life is no longer just a jumbled mix-up of ideas. Let me close with a quote from E. Stanley Jones. If you don't make up your mind, your unmade mind will unmake you. Let's pray. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at FCCSobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.